Alright, you white motherfuckers. All eyes on me. This is the Average Years Podcast. Welcome back to the Average Years Podcast. Happy Black History Month. Happy White People President's Day. If you are working on White People's President's Day, I'm here to tell you, you should reconsider your life. I'm not normally in White People's Business, Mr. Fox, here by the way. But there is no godly reason why you should be working on the White People's President's Day. In the meantime, welcome back to the I Refuse Podcast, Season 5, Episode 27. I'm Mr. Fox of the I Refuse Podcast. If you've never been here before, welcome. You've probably heard from other people about the podcast, if that's the case. Thank you to those that have spoken and spread the word out about the RFU's podcast. If you are returning, man, oh man, do I have some shit to tell you. So, Black History Month, 29 days this year, we at the RFU's podcast celebrate black history all year, every year. The big thing happening right now is the disqualification hearing for District Attorney Fulton uh, Fulton County, Fannie Willis. Last week, middle of last week, I was down on the Bird app wondering, why is this name trending? And of course, there was a lot of of tweets. A lot of tweets around how another person, a black person specifically, is willing to risk it all, her legacy, her credibility, her credentials, as a lawyer, as a district attorney, undermine the oath for some dick and this isn't that special I mean the only difference is that it's at a high level but women and guys tend to go all out I don't it's probably the risk the thrill that comes with the risk and the adrenaline that's pumping. But some people just can't just can't resist workplace dick. Some of y'all on the bird app was saying at this point they should have the dick locked up behind the counter at CVS. You know how they lock up um the shit near shit near the pharmacy to the Walmart at this point, y'all were saying they should lock up dick just like that. We have to get an associate to unlock it for you. I remember at least 10 or 12 years ago when I was working at an agency, right? I come in early in the morning, do my job for eight hours, 
you know, go to the cafeteria for lunch, come back, do my job, and leave. Don't really mind anybody else's business. But if you're at your desk long enough or if you're in the right place in this big-ass agency, you start to hear stuff. Blew me out the water that somebody out of human resources, married, smiling all the time. Every time I saw him, he was talking to a female in the cafeteria. Come to find out that he had been cheating on his wife, who also works at the same agency, with some of the girls at the agency. Those of us that are black... I wouldn't say all of us, but most of us know about the movie Baby Boy. Where Jody was cheating on... What's Taraji P. Henson's character's name? Was cheating on her. All up and through the movie. And she knew, but it was to a point to where a girl at her job... was literally staring her down from across the floor. Jody said he didn't do anything with it. But it's just the moment somebody feels like they have power or an advantage of a weakness of yours, they have no problem causing issues at your job. And then the other part of this whole Fannie Willis thing is like you have people out here that are of the mindset that, you know, there aren't that many of us in power and there aren't that many of us in the position that you're in where you did this lengthy investigation into 45, particularly of the 2020 election. The investigation, to your knowledge, and through your expertise, concluded in multiple counts against 19 co-defendants, including 45, regarding efforts by him and his allies to overturn the election results from 2020. And then there was like a whole campaign with the premise of restoring integrity to Fulton County. You went on this whole journey throughout that year after leading the election subversion probe. You brought anti-corruption indictments against Young Flug and his associates, which led to it being like the largest RICO case, which is still happening, by the way. RICO, by the way, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act, used in an orthodox way to bring charges against school officials and musicians. So, you're doing major things as the first black woman 
in your role as district district attorney for Fulton County. Here it is. 2024. People representing 45 have successfully made it to dis- a disqualification hearing claiming conflict of interest because you had a relationship with a special prosecutor also part of the team in the subversion probe or case whatever so there I was last week I found myself on Friday watching the first two parts of examination and cross-examination of District Attorney Fannie Willis. And let me tell you, from the first second, District Attorney Fannie Willis was stressing the cream-colored jacket, blonde-haired lady, out. So she, District Attorney Fannie Willis, went through... Four or five lawyers, I guess, leading the charge for 45 and his um, cohort. 45 was not there. First up was the blonde hair lady with the cream jacket on. Fannie Willis was stressing, was stressing her out. Then we got to this, the silver-haired guy who... He was popping all kinds of vessels in his face. By the time they got to the last guy, who, from the looks of it, looked like he should have retired probably 10 years ago. Like for a team that wants yes or no answers, they seem to have the longest questions. Got through the first part, and I was just like, okay, she had a relationship with somebody. But they were trying clearly to set traps for her in the questions. Throughout the four or five people that were asking her questions, Later on, the third or fourth person would revisit what was previously asked again, which is another tactic of we want to make sure it's under the guise that we want to make sure that the dates are correct both times or three times that we ask. It was all around how much cash do you keep? Or, you know, this particular trip, do you remember 
And she went over that earlier in the first part. It was questions around when did you move into the condo out of your father's house? That was asked multiple times by multiple people as if the dates were going to change. They were trying so hard to trap her in details around, well, did you pay with a card and, you know, food and meals together and these trips and stuff like that? Trying to paint her as somebody that was using her position to date this guy. By the time I got to the second part, she did really good. A lot of people in the comment section on the YouTube channel were bothered to the extent that you thought that they had an investment. Oh, you know, you should be honest and you have a duty to be fully transparent with the people you serve and all this other stuff, which she was. Like, we're all watching the same thing where she's being fully transparent. She is giving you all the details. Whether or not, you know, the lawyer or, you know, these prosecutors or whatever you call them want a yes or no answer. You're also wanting her to think back a couple of years. And then you want to try to trip her up with that. But she had time today. Now this is the kind of black history you want to see. And what's so special about this is several reasons. What's so special about this kind of situation is on the outside looking in you can tell when who is pro 45 more than who isn't because the expectation is that we're supposed to give in and nothing's nothing is good enough and we're suspicious and we're we're underhanded by exposing the very thing on the other side sitting there like conflict of interest okay she's not the first person to date a person at the workplace you have doctors that do it you have officers that date and are married to enlisted yeah for some reason We must go through or question the credibility of the very district attorney to determine whether or not she's fit to be on this case against 45. 
I will say that watching part two, what, what may trip her up is the particulars in the financial reporting documents. You know, where it says the aggregate price or amount of expenditures, gifts of a certain amount, that may trip her up. She did kind of stumble a little bit. But they were so caught up on... You were in a relationship with this guy. They couldn't get any clarity or get a confirmation as to whether or not it was before he was hired on the, on the trial or since he was on the trial. It's just like that didn't stop her from fi- filing and charging 19 people, including 45. For blatant theft of an election. Like in 2020, a lot of us knew that. But I myself, Mr. Fox, I refuse podcast. Now it's just a, a smear campaign or an attempt. Like, I could see if District Attorney Fannie Willis went the route of Marilyn Mosby out of Baltimore, where you have multiple residences and fail to report that in, like, allegedly, like, tax filings and earnings and all that other stuff. Or if it's a... If a suspicion of embezzling or withholding, withholding houses you own and rent and all this other stuff, that's something else. But if there's one thing I've learned recently is that if the hate don't work, Tell lies. But I will say some of the most iconic moments of 2024 thus far have come out of Fannie Willis's mouth. When she was cross examined about particulars of the brief relationship she had with. Attorney Nathan Wade, I believe his name is. She was talking about the trips. And she said in such an iconic tone, Mr. Wade likes wine. I don't do wine. I'm a Grey Goose girl myself. I said, I I hollered so loud. I was like, this is my kind of district attorney. She's gone to Howard. She's into Grey Goose. She keeps cash in her apartment. And she has learned 
very well the teachings from her father. He himself was a lawyer, tried over a thousand cases in his lifetime, has had his own practice, taught his daughter very well. Always have cash wherever you lay your head. In the condo she has stayed at, a condo she moved into to take over the lease agreement, what have you, from a friend of hers who left to be with her now husband. She moved into this condo at a time where her father's place was vandalized, receiving a lot of threats, phone calls, appearances, to the level for a long time while she was appointed to this case against 45, led the probe, the news broke out that this was going on. Mind you, this was 2020 during COVID. Father pressed her to to leave and move, so she did. And in this condo that she was living in, she always kept cash. I guess these four or five lawyers representing 45 or whomever were trying to tie all of this to prove or undermine her ability to be assigned to the case. And it's like, it's not rare that people go on trips with cash, with other people, and the person you guys claim they had a relationship with at the time to have cash. And a lot of people on the outside looking in find just about anything that came out of this lady's mouth for the almost two hours suspicious. What you mean you go to have lunch and you don't report it? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? What do you mean you uh you you go get lunch and bring it back and you don't pay for it? Some some stupid shit. And it's like a district attorney can't eat. So you had this legal team trying from different angles. And attempts to try to tie this brief relationship to justify disqualifying this lady. Conflict of interest. Like two lawyers can date. I could see if it was like a John Edwards kind of thing where Your income is essentially donations. So when you're using like campaign funds 
to pay off an affair that got pregnant, hush money, secretly pay under the table for the care of this baby that your wife didn't have while she was going through cancer treatments. Yeah, that would be suspicious. But here you have two lawyers, district attorneys, special prosecutors, who get paid to do their job, and they're doing it. And they also have consulting gigs on the side. Getting paid to do it. And this is the best that you can do. Another iconic moment when District Attorney Fannie Willis was being cross-examined or questioned about her relationship with lawyer Nathan Wade was when she was going into... You know, a man doesn't foot my bills, and I'm never in a situation where I'm broke or I don't have money. These iconic words were uttered from her lips. A man is not a plan. A man is a companion. Nothing she said her daddy taught her that I said, preach, just like, let let these girls know in this climate where women are boarding planes and going cross country going to other continents with nothing but the clothes on their back and then when they get there and they're stood up and they find that they're blocked they don't have any alternate accommodations they don't have Money to even buy a can of Sprite. It's like, this is the black history we like to see. We like to see a black woman who has forty-five fans up in a tizzy, failing miserably at trying to discredit her just in this woman's business and she's shutting them down one by one and it frustrates them and people on the outside looking in who are also 45 a fan of 45 wanting to nail this lady to the cross because they don't want to believe that that election four years ago was stolen. They don't want to. Be, they don't want to believe any election was stolen. Not even well after the fact that this guy has proven himself to be ill-equipped for the job. To the point that a lot of us out here were like, "I don't want any job posting or any agency or any company." 
to ask for a master's degree for an entry-level position. Now, mind you, all of this is a distraction from the real danger at hand. You have a person still allowed to run with convictions, allegedly felonies, and guilty liability suits upwards of multi-millions because this man can't keep his hands to himself. Allowed to run for office again. But yes, let's um let's talk about this district attorney and her improper relationship. And they they cross examined this guy, his former business partner, her father, the current governor of Georgia who's also a lawyer. And I'm just like, this is where the taxpayers are going. Taxpayer dollars are going. The takeaway from all of this is that if and when they get the chance, there is nothing that is stopping them from trying to remind us They don't want us to have as much power. Mind you, this is the same state and possibly the same county where there was that um, lawsuit that was won by a white man claiming reverse discrimination. I talked about it on a previous episode. Like, you can actually claim that you, as a white person, with all the privilege in the world, that you're being discriminated against. File a a motion to block an organization that is put in place to help out or give grants to... black business owners or black women that want to become business owners. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, you heard correctly. Like this is where we are these days. And on that note of subtle reminders that they just can't take black women. So since... Our last episode, All Eyes on Me. You know, the Super Bowl happened. The halftime show happened. Beyonce was in the skybox. 
Hush right his moment at the halftime show. Alicia Keys still thinks she's a mezzo-soprano. But that outfit was, was looking right. Like, the body in the outfit and the piano was cute or whatever. Not too long after Usher took the last step off the stage and the stage was still in one piece, the T-Mobile commercial dropped where Beyonce is trying to break the internet. And right before the commercial goes off, she says, drop the music. And we get two new songs. Texas Hold'em and 16 Characters, right? Which will lead us into the second act of the Renaissance. You know, there's a third act that's coming out after. Upon first listen, both songs have kept us in a chokehold over here at the IFU's podcast. 16 Carriages, depending on the mood, it could be 16 Carriages over Texas Hold'em. Where Texas hold him over 16 carriages. It's clear that the second act will be a country album. And there have been a lot of theories as to why this is happening so soon from right after act one. A lot of people are saying, oh, she wants to get out on tour and make as much money before... It becomes surviving Jay-Z. There's word on the street that what has happened to Diddy will soon happen to Jay-Z. And they're saying allegedly that Beyonce knows a lot of this and is trying trying to make her money since they've allegedly been separated for so long before shit hits the fan, allegedly. A lot of people in the streets are saying she is really going to be vying extra hard to get out of the year next year since she didn't get it this past Grammy season. That wasn't even in the category. But they missed that. Everybody was stuck on the global impact speech that Jay-Z gave. But nonetheless, Beyonce is going to be in her country bag coming soon. And as of President's Day, there, again, like I said, subtle reminders that they just can't take a black person doing things not even two or three days into last week, a lot of controversy. Also, the most telling example in this whole this whole thing, a lot of requests, calls made into country radios across the nation to have Texas hold and played were often denied. And the excuse is, we play country music, we don't play Beyonce. Now mind you, those of us that have been outside at least the last five years are aware that the country music community 
it's not news that they're made up mostly of conservative whites were setting themselves ablaze the year that Beyonce went to the CMTs to perform with the Dixie Chicks, well now the Chicks, to perform an even countryer version of Daddy's Lessons. The live performance was so popular that it was accessible on all streaming platforms. But here's the gag. It was immediately scrubbed from the CMT Awards website as if it never happened. Why Why is that? Too controversial, I guess. So here we are on President's Day, the week of President's Day. Texas Hold'em has officially landed on Billboard's country airplay chart. Currently at number 54, but the greatest prediction going into next week is that it'll land at number one on the Billboard Hot 100, making it her ninth number one hit as a solo artist. Thirteenth number one if you include her Destiny's Child era. Now, the thing, there are multiple reasons why this is huge. Here you have Beyonce G- Giselle Knowles Carter, who has not only defied expectations or the age of the shelf life of R&B, soul, black music, but not only remaining relevant for five years, ten years as a solo artist, But she is going into her fourth decade. Her fourth decade. As an artist. At least seven or eight albums. Has branched off into her own entertainment company. Parkwood Entertainment. Now, regardless of how you feel about how soon it is for the next act, your opinion of Beyonce being overrated, some people will continue that argument until they're blue in the face, until they pull their last breath. The other thing that is powerful about this moment is that Beyonce, in my opinion, is aiming to reaffirm, reiterate what a lot of us know, but isn't celebrated more, is that country music, rock and roll, R&B, pop, gospel, jazz, blues, any genre she's feels like doing started with black people now it's a risky move even at her level and as long as she's been doing it to do a genre like a strong genre switch 
Because trust and believe, Texas Hold'em and 16 Carriages are definitely country. Beyonce Knowles is a country girl. To the point that a lot of people in the earlier days when she was doing interviews thought that Houston draw, Texas draw came across as she sounds illiterate or she sounds stupid or she sounds uneducated. And aside from the cringeworthy moments that have happened in the history of Beyonce doing interviews, I would stop talking or talk less to the media. But the girl's from Texas. And the fact that white conservatives want to gatekeep the sound and the music like it's something that they've spearheaded and owned flat out when in fact it was black people that did country music first and blues and rock and roll. And Beyonce is proving that black people can do country music. Now mind you, there aren't a lot of us over there in the country music world. You know, Darius Rucker has been holding it down for a little bit over there. Embrace him just fine. But we also know that he started out in a rock band, an alternative band back in the early 90s, Hootie and the Blowfish. So maybe the embracing, embracement of the white folks over there in country music lane was a lot smoother for him. I don't know. But for Beyonce... It's gotten to a point that she, this is getting so much traction, so much shine, that the conversation doesn't even be, doesn't even have to be about her, and she's in it. So there's a songwriter claiming. That Beyonce, Seven Streeter, Tony Braxton, Zazaya for not giving publishing rights to her and others behind the scenes. Publishing is my only source of income. Almost every record that I have done, I have written when the artist was not in the room. I'll go through my own songs. Replay. Zendaya got 10% of the publishing, I think. She did not write on the song. She did it. That song was written at a Rihanna song camp. It was on hold for Rihanna. Then it was on hold for Rita Ora. Famous came to me and said, yo, Tiff, there's this artist named Zendaya. We should cut replay on her. So... Zendaya got published in a writer credit. She did not write on replay. Um, King by Tamar Braxton. I wrote and produced that song. I wrote that song for myself as an artist. In my living room. In my living room. 
Tamar got, I don't know. I don't know what she ended up getting. I think I own like 85% of that song. But I should own all of it because I did all of it. She didn't write shit. Seven Streeter, who's a songwriter? This one really hurt my heart. Seven Streeter, just being honest. Me and Monsoor did that song. It was originally called Bitch. I wrote that song by myself. I'm not even really a big co-writer like that. I prefer writing songs by myself. Because, I don't know, I just prefer to write like that. So I have a lot of records that I have placed that either have one co-writer on or that I've written solo dolo, right? Seven ended up with 10% of that record. I fought like hell for her to not have any of the publishing because she didn't write anything on it. Publishing is my only source of income. I didn't even, and by the way, <laughs> none of the artists that I've that I mentioned have a career anything close to in music Beyonce none of them do but the reason why I'm bringing up my experience with every artist or almost every artist that I've worked with that has taken publishing that they did not earn on the songs that I wrote for them is because there is a precedent that's set the reason why I called out Beyonce is because Beyonce is the Michael Jackson of our generation and so if there's anybody that could reshape the precedent if there's anybody that could influence the industry that had the power and the money and the cultural like thing to say you know what y'all you're right these songwriters have been out here we've been in the street literally i have been in the street in front of spotify i've been in front of universal i have sat and i have talked to all y'all publishers i talked to y'all publishers i talked to the dsps I talked to the copyright royalty, uh, the copyright, the U.S. Copyright Office. I talked to NMPA. I talked to RIAA. I talked to Sona. I talked to NSAI. I talked to all of them. And guess what? Y'all are still broke. Okay? That's the fucking truth, right? Okay? So the people that are like, oh, this is not true. I had somebody call it propaganda yesterday. It's not fucking propaganda. The reality is, is there is no A-list artist, B-list artist, or C-list artist that's not taking publishing because that is the way the music industry works. And to deny that is delusional. And what I will not allow <laughs> is for anybody to make me feel like I'm in the twilight zone because I know I'm not in the twilight zone. I can pull up my records. I talked to somebody yesterday, somebody's uh, a manager of somebody who is a writer and producer on Renaissance, okay? The record is one of y'all faves. The song was written six years before it got to Beyonce. She got 25% of the song. I've talked to another, another writer who wrote and sang on one of your favorite songs. Credit not right, all kind of shit fucked up. His business still isn't handled. Beyonce was on tour last year with that record, with that person's vocals, all that. I'm not crazy. And here's the thing. The reason why people who work for Beyonce don't talk is because they're all on NDAs. Because that's also how she works. She silences people so that nobody can speak. I'm not a writer that's written for Beyonce. I haven't shot 
I haven't sh- shot my shot at Beyonce because I don't. I'm not willing to give her any publishing. Not because I haven't had the opportunity. I've had the opportunity to work with everybody, and I've turned down a lot of stuff because I'm not willing to play these games. There's a massive power dynamic happening. Please don't act like it's easy to negotiate with Beyonce and her team because it is not. If, it was th- if that was the case, there would not be so many people coming to me like, Tiff, this is how much was taken. Shit is not negotiable. It's not. These are the terms, which means, okay, cool, then we work for you, Beyonce. So that means you're an employer. But either way, to imply that the artists do not have to be responsible for the business practices that they exercise with songwriters to, to, to insinuate that the only way you are treated fairly is if you are managed by one of the gatekeepers is bullshit. It's bullshit. You shouldn't have to be in company with a gatekeeper to be treated fairly. You should not have to have a gatekeeper on your team to make a livable wage off of music that is making people billionaires. Them Grammys don't pay the bills. Those plaques do not pay the bills. There are people with Grammys and plaques who can't pay their rent. I know people who are super accredited. Broke. It means nothing. Trust me, I know. I remember having a conversation with a writer who wrote on what was the record Beyonce did after or before Renaissance? I can't remember whatever the record was. I remember talking to one of the writers and talking to them about how much of the publishing she was taking. And this writer was like, look, Tip, I, I don't want no smoke with me. Like, I just let her take the publishing. That's bullshit. All these writers that you guys see celebrating in a studio with these artists posted up in pictures like, yeah, everything is all good. Those writers are being exploited. Those writers' time is not paid for. Their services are not paid for. Their contribution to the, to the sound recording is not paid for. Their, the, the, um, their first use of the copyright is not paid for. Their fucking parking is not paid for. Their fucking lunch is not paid for. That's the truth. The truth is, is that we work in an industry that proclaims and makes billions of dollars, but can't even buy you fucking lunch. Not you complaining about Subway. But I'm, but I'm tripping. A little bit. But I'm tripping. A little bit. No, they're tripping. And you're tripping if you with them. There's people that are like, then nobody had no gun in your head. The gun to your head is the power dynamic. Think critically, y'all. The gun to your head is the power dynamic. The gun to your head is your livelihood. The gun to your head is being excluded and ostracized and and retaliated against for even trying. That's the gun to your head. They don't need to put a gun to your head anymore. Because they control everything. That's the gun. You being silenced. That's the gun. 
And you know, the thing that the thing that burns me up the most about Beyonce, and this is why I'm speaking about her specifically, is because Beyonce is Queen B. Beyonce is a black artist. Beyonce represents black excellence, black black excellence. Beyonce's team, like the people who work with her, these writers that I'm talking about that are exploited, are they're us. You know what? <laughs> it's so funny because when I think about my own career and all the people that have fucked me over, it's been my own people. Because those are the opportunities I had to work with my people. And this business is a racist business. So if you're black, you're usually put in R&B and hip hop with artists that are black, creatives that are black, executives that are black. And you know what sure people do to you? The same thing that white people do to you. And we pedestal them like goals. That is not fucking goals. Capitalism is not goals. That shit is not cute. Capitalism is rooted in chattel slavery. That's the foundation of capitalism. To be a billionaire, you have to exploit labor. That is not the shit. It's fucking disgusting is what it is. My comments about Beyonce not winning the album of the year and me saying, you know what, maybe karmically it's not coming to you because of the way that you're doing creatives. I meant that with everything in me. I hear the racial discussion and all the things and I think that that has its place. But this has its place too. It does. And they all can exist. Beyonce could absolutely reform her business practices. Beyonce could absolutely reform Parkwood's business practices. It's a decision. It's a fucking choice. It's a choice to take 25% of publishing that you didn't earn. That's wage theft. That's what that is. That's bullying. That's abuse of power. That is the power dynamic. That's the gun. People out here think they're going to lose their opportunities, lose their jobs, lose their relationships, lose everything trying to negotiate. And y'all fucking know that shit. And to act like that's not the case is so, like, for me, like, that's the shit that gets me riled up. Like, people are always like, oh, my God, why are you not scared? Because I'm fucking mad. What you're not going to do is try to make me feel crazy because I know I'm not crazy. I'm a songwriter. I have lived this. My friends around me live this still. I hate it for them. There are artists that are A-list artists that can lead the charge here too. I'm not saying wait on Beyonce. I'm not. But I am going to say what I need to say about it because for the last almost four years now, I have had so many writers come to me about her specifically. And I also want y'all to know that, like, I'm not the kind of person that comes to the internet first, I come to the internet last. I come to the internet at the end when I've tried everything.
everything else I could try. So trust and believe on the back end, I've been doing a lot when it comes to this conversation and who I'm having conversations with and how and all the things. So I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. And nothing has gotten done. People's splits still aren't done. People still aren't getting paid. People still aren't being seen. People still aren't being heard. People are still being silenced. People are still under NDAs and some more shit. While Jay-Z's up there on Sunday talking about why it's not fair, Beyonce don't got a Grammy for album of the year. So hell yeah, I had something to say. Because it's hypocrisy. Also, not for nothing, Taylor Swift is a songwriter. She writes her albums. Yeah. (sighs) That's all I had to say about that. I'm going to go back to my day. I wanted to have this quick vent so that y'all can hear me out. Um, and so that the people out there can hear me out who are, you know, who have the commentary going on right now because I'm definitely getting the messages. I'm definitely getting the, did you see that? I'm definitely seeing the like, you know, let me set the record straight. Put the splits on the table. Set the record straight. Pull the email chain. Set the record straight. I like facts. I showed y'all. I showed y'all my thing. I like facts. Show me the splits. This five below notebook she just showed us. <laughs> so I have this to say to Tiffany Red, who looks like is a self-proclaimed songwriter. Your beef isn't with these artists. Your beef is with the people you go through to heart to represent you and to speak for you. Um when it comes to percentages and asking for permission to samples and stuff, that's that's between the teams. Like I, I, although I would like to be like to know more about these so-called songwriting boot camps that they have, nobody else that has written for Beyonce in these camps have complained. Does anybody out there find it oddly convenient that this Tiffany Red Lady is saying all of this post the Grammys? I mean, everybody's entitled to their opinion. That's including Azalea Banks, who spoke her piece about... Beyonce's country songs not being country and you'll never get A-O-T-Y and all this other stuff. There may be a little bit of credence to what Tiffany Red said towards the end of that clip we just played you. You know, a huge part of the reason why Taylor Swift keeps getting album of the year it's because she writes her she writes her songs. 
I was just having this conversation with Mr. Great last week that when you open up the credits or the jacket of an album, a Taylor Swift album, she is one of maybe three songwriters, I think at the most. You do the same for one of Beyonce's albums, especially the later ones. There is upwards of about six to eight songwriters, I think at the very least. And understand that when you use a sample or an interpolation or use the same melody from a previously recorded and released song, you have to credit the songwriters. And of course, the producers also get a songwriting credit because their music serves the basis for the melody of the song. I get that. But there's just no, when it comes around to the big four at the Grammys, there's just no getting around a singer-songwriter in the same category. There's just no getting around that. And with that, there's no getting around Taylor Swift and Adele. There's just no getting around it. So it's, it's tough. Um, political, yes, but these are just simply the facts, or, you know, my opinion. But all the rest of that stuff that Tiffany Red said in that clip, I'm just like, um, you started off talking about four or five other artists, and somehow or another, the latter half of that clip, of your spoken word piece, Beyonce ended up catching a lot of strays. I'm just like, you know, say what you want, but it's it's like none of that amounts to anything other than poor business skills, poor management skills, not looking over agreements and contracts and not advocating because nobody wants to end up like, if you're the one writing the song, no one wants to end up like you, where the artist that was nowhere in the room breathing the same lyrics as you were writing them, getting a fourth, if not more than you, when it comes to publishing, or dare I say all of it, eliminating you out of the equation. But like I said, when the hate don't work, tell lies. Before we get up out of here, if this is your first time coming to an episode of the I Refuse podcast on Black History Month, we always end each episode this month, Black History Month, with white people shit. I don't know whose idea it was to do this I don't know who thought yes of any social climate this is the climate that we're going to unveil this this thing I woke up one morning just like the rest of y'all did to find that 
on one of the morning shows, there was actually Pix11, pix com, a segment dedicated to us meeting the NYPD dance team. And just like the rest of you, I was befuddled and confused. You know, that's aside from the long-standing corrupt history, allegedly, that the NYPD have, has had for many decades. Um, but this is very much in the line for a lot of questioning, a lot of questions as to why this, why now? The mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, recently cut $100 million from education, but managed to find money to fund the NYPD to promote and finance this so-called dance team. That's the most glaring thing. The funniest thing is watching these, these ladies dance. Claiming that they put in at least two to three days a week. This routine that they did. Which looked more like a last minute rumba class put together. And then put into a new studio to perform. Dance team vice president, Lauren Pagan, said, I'm just answering 9-11 jobs all day. All day, all day out of roll call until it's time to go home. Music is amazing, and when I get to sit there, I can just listen, even if it's the same song over and over again. It's a nice place to be. Everybody here loves to dance. They love being here. The group usually meets two to three times a week, training for three hours during each rehearsal. They... They formed in 2022. Could be the longest, hardest day at work. I come here, the girls are always smiling, and it's just nice. It's also worth pointing out that the New York City Police Department has over four dozen competitive groups, including knitting and chess. There's currently no internet humdrum over those. Mind you, these... When they went on Pix11 recently to do this dance routine after putting in those same hours several days a week, they have uniforms, they have on knee pads, which my mind can go into a totally different direction. Shout out to Quaker Throats. Um... So seeing this on the morning show only generates more questions. I, like the rest of you, are curious. If they're spending taxpayer money on these uniforms, are they being paid for the time that they are there? Does this count as official business? 
look at the NYPD. They're just hanging out. Just a cool, chill group of people. With NYC crime at an all-time high, people being murdered, shops looted, drugs flooding the streets, a homeless crisis that won't quit, the city's being overrun by illegals. The solution? NYPD chief dance. One person on the bird app retweeted the the segment of the NYPD dance team dancing with the caption that says they aren't protecting and they're definitely not serving. I had to say that's the tweet that sent me through the wall. Someone else pointed out that the library is closed on the weekends, but we got an NYPD dance team. This, this, like, what are we doing here? You cut $100 million from education, but yet you have enough time to put together a dance team and for what? Like, are you trying to bridge some kind of level of trust from the community? You're trying to give this uh, implied impression that in order to solve crime, don't use your batons, don't use your guns. Just do a biofossil West Side Story number, or try to. If the Weight Watchers class ain't working, and the Zuma class and the P90X class is not helping, come join the NYPD dance team. So unserious. So unserious. But this is where we are. White people should. This is Mr. Foxy IFU's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Now, usually, we love rooting for everybody black over here and poke fun at white people shit all the time. But we make it a point to do it especially for Black History Month, for anybody that's listening. Be sure to check out the rest of the podcast wherever you see us. Five seasons in so far. Also check out The Usual Suspects and the IRFUs podcast, After Dark. We also have our YouTube channel. And uh, at IRFUs Podcast on Twitter, at IRFUs Podcast underscore between the words on Instagram. The link to the podcast on both of those social media profiles. YouTube channel at I Refuse Podcast. Lots of good content over there. Continue to follow, subscribe, and support black content creators such as myself. And we will catch you guys next week. You think you're special or something? No, ma'am. You think you're better than everybody up in here? No, ma'am. Oh, I get it. You think because you're a low-life pig, you're too good to watch me? No, ma'am. You know what? Every time I come to this motherfucking place, you are the same one starting problems. So you know what that means, don't you? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Assume the fucking position. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am.
sound off too. <laughs> Say it loud. <laughs> Month, or it would have been a lot worse.